If you're listening to this podcast, my assumption is that you have a love of nature. In this episode, I'm chatting to Sandy Schwartz, who's the author of a new book called Finding Eco-Happiness, which is all about the healing power of Mother Nature and gives us ways in which we can develop a nature habit for our families. We talk about these and more in our episode today. Welcome to Raising Wildlings, a podcast about parenting, alternative education, and stepping into the wilderness, however that looks, with your family. Each week, we'll be interviewing experts that truly inspire us to answer your parenting and education questions. We'll also be sharing stories from some incredible families that took the leap and are taking the road less travelled. We're your hosts, Vicky and Nikki from Wildlings Forest School. Pop in your headphones, settle in and join us on this next adventure. Before we start, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is recorded, the Kabi Kabi and the Gubby Gubby people. We honour their songlines and storylines, and we pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. I'd also like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which you are listening to this episode. Hello and welcome to the Raising Wildlings podcast. You've got me here today, Vicky Oliver, but before I introduce you to our guest today, I just wanted to remind you to like and subscribe. I know we say this a lot and a lot of podcasts do, but it really does help to our little podcast here at Raising Wildlings. You can also give us a review if you love what we do and you can chat to us on Instagram. We love to know about all of the gold nuggets of wisdom or any insights that you've gained from our guest today, which is Sandy Schwartz. Now, she's the founder and director of the Eco Happiness Project, and she's the author of the parenting book called Finding Eco Happiness, Fun Nature Activities to Help Your Kids Feel Happier and Calmer. She's also the co-author of a children's book called Sky's Search for Eco Happiness, and she's a journalist specializing in parenting, environmental, and wellness topics. Her whole mission is to inspire and educate families to build a nature habit and to feel happier and calmer. And we're going to be talking more about this on today's episode. So here's Sandy. Hi, Sandy. Welcome to the podcast. It's absolutely fantastic to have you here. Great to be here. Thanks. All right. Let's, um, I'd love for you to tell me all about your background first before we talk about your eco-happiness project. So do you want to take us back to how you have become so entwined in all of the amazing things that you do, like the parenting and the wellness and, and all of the outdoor things? Yes. It all goes back to a day in 10th grade. I, I grew up in New Jersey in the U.S., and I volunteered for, or got involved in the, the environmental club at my high school called Nature Defense. And we cleaned up a very dirty river. Oh, wow. And that just really transformed my life. It was that moment when I saw that, you know, there was pollution and, and there was, you know, these devastation, devastating things happening to my own environment and that I could actually do something, you know, because we were able to clean it up and, and felt good about it. So, that was sort of the trigger that led me to my path of being an environmental studies major in college. I focused on environmental politics and government in grad school, and then started working at uh, the US EPA, Environmental Protection Agency, the National Academy of Sciences. And I really learned how to get involved in the public understanding of science. Yeah. So it was, it was bringing together my, you know, uh, interest and passion to save the planet with also being able to communicate it to others. 
how do you communicate often complex scientific ideas to everyday people, lay people like me? I mean, I have a science background as well, but I still feel like a lot of the concepts are beyond my understanding. How, how do you go about that so that people can have an understanding and then feel like they can take some action? Yeah. So my bottom line message with all this, because we'll get into the mental health aspect as well, mm. because that's really my main focus of how nature helps with mental health, especially our, you know, our children yeah. and all the moms. But in my conclusion of my book, I really hone in on the fact that if people understand and recognize that nature, our environment, our precious environment can benefit us. Okay. I mean, you know, we've tried for, for, for a long time now to convince people to stop polluting, to stop, you know, to recycle, to, Ooh. you know, to, to do all these things. And so, and I've been involved in the environmental movement for a long time now, you know, over 25 years. And it occurred to me that if people recognize that it helps us feel better uh, emotionally, because you know, we know that getting outside and exercising makes us feel better. So how about getting outside and looking at the beautiful rainbow or trees or the beach, how that makes us happier and calmer, then maybe, you know, just maybe people will say, hey, I want to protect that park. I want to protect that beach and make sure it's clean and stop with all the the plastic pollution. So, you, you know, that's what I want to communicate. And I think the best way to do it from what I've learned is to really, yeah, like kind of pull on people's heartstrings and, and realize that so that they can realize that it's about them. Yeah. (laughs) I think it just might be a little bit more effective if it's really something that impacts them and their children and they can see the smile on their child's face, you know, Mm. after being outside. Yeah. And I think, you know, just observing the children that we have at Forest School and all of our other programs, is that when you have that connection to nature, it is a lot easier to understand how it can be about you and how you fit in to the whole connectedness of everything as well. Like if you don't have that connection, if you're not out there experiencing nature, then it's a lot easier for us to dismiss all of the big problems and not see how it affects us. Yes, especially when, you know, the way the system's set up where you throw the garbage out and you don't know where it goes or you, yeah. you flush and you don't know where it goes and you think that it's this endless, you know, cycle, but it's not. Everything comes back and we're rec- I mean, the plastic issue is a huge example, mm. you know, that, and, and it's a it's fascinating story, you know, because plastic, when it was created, was to really help improve society in so many ways. And it has, and there are yeah. some- you know, great benefits of plastic, you know, in the medical uh, Absolutely. That's the world. first one that come to my mind. Yeah. But we got into this, you know, quick serve society where now everything's got to be takeout and, and then you just throw it out. And, and then even when one of the most disheartening things was finding out that recycling wasn't really what, what yeah. it was. <laughs> yeah. when, like I said, when I was in high school, I was teaching the younger kids when I was in this nature defense club about how important recycling was. So now we have to change our mindset on that as well. Mm. And that makes it hard for people to, um, you know, like you feel like you've been, I know that this is how I felt when I found out about that. I was like, all these years, I felt like I was hmm. making a difference. It was something actionable oh, yeah. that I felt like I was doing and it wasn't actually what I thought it was. And then it, you know, like that's a, you don't, we don't want those sorts of things happening. We want to feel like when people are taking action, it's actually making a difference. 
Yes. And I think that the hands-on activities, volunteering outside in nature really does help, you know, help with that because you know, when you are cleaning up a beach or a park, it can be a little bit frustrating because you're like, oh, there's more mm. and more. But on the other hand, it does leave you feeling like you're you're giving back and you're making a difference and you can actually see the bag that you have collected and will dispose of, you know, properly and all that. So, and a cleaner yeah. environment that you're leaving. Absolutely. So yeah, I think it, it's important for our kids to learn what they can do to protect it and why, why, and, mm. you know, how that all helps them feel better. Yeah, exactly. So tell me more about the Eco Happiness Project. Yeah. So the other piece of the puzzle is the mental health and emotional well-being that, that happens from being in nature. And so the other part of my story was that while I was passionate about cleaning up the environment and also communicating about science, I also was struggling and, and frankly can, can continue to struggle with stress and anxiety. You know, it's just my my makeup, you know, and long yeah. line of genetic warriors. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, family in my family. And so I began to seek out natural ways of coping with my own stress and anxiety and emotional health. And I came across the world of positive psychology. And that are some approaches like gratitude, practicing gratitude, mm. mindfulness. Um, really honing in on all, all of our of the of nature mm. and our surroundings, all is fascinating. And so that's where Eco Happiness Project was born out of that concept that nature and in mental health are connected. And how can I educate people about it and then also inspire them to build a nature habit in their own family? All right. So let's go with that. So how how can people get started on building a nature habit? Because I think what I see where we live is that we have a beautiful place that we live. A lot of people do spend time outside, but I wouldn't necessarily call it a habit. So how can we build that? <laughs> well, first, I think it's good to recognize that the studies show that spending about 20 minutes a day can be very beneficial to our health. There was a groundbreaking mm. study in 2019 published in scientific reports and it, it really hit the media pretty far and wide. And I think that really, you know, changed the discussion. And so, you know, that 120 minutes a week or 20 minutes, uh, you know, approximately a, a day is a good goal to set for us. And I know that can be intimidating to some people who aren't outdoorsy <laughs> or very yeah. busy, but I like to explain it as start with what you're already, what you already love, what your kids already love and go from there. You know, are your kids into creative arts? Do they like to write, um, you know, write poetry, draw, paint? Well, instead, I, I like to use this example, instead of a child sitting inside drawing or painting, let's say cartoons, for example, mm. get them outside, you know, to the local park, to your balcony or backyard, whatever you have, and get them, you know, trying, you know, challenge them to paint with the scene out there, you know, yeah. take them to different, you know, inspiring locations and see what they can create. If you have a child who loves sports, you know, encourage those outdoor sports activities more. Yes. So it's really, you know, that, you know, that those are like some of the main activities that you can do as far as, you know, let's call them hobbies, right? Yeah. But, but then there's also really weaving in nature experiences to your daily routine. And that can be as simple as having a meal outside 
or walking somewhere. We happen to live, and I, and you know, the other piece of my story is I am a, a total suburbanite, and <laughs> <laughs> so you know that comes with its own challenges with having to drive lots of places. But we have a, a, a library that we can walk to or bike to very close by, and so and a few little shopping centers. So it's really makes you feel good, you know, when you walk to the library. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, I didn't get in my car today. And so, you know, I encourage people to look at those opportunities where they can walk more, ride their bike more, combine activities in, into one that would allow mm. them then to do more outdoor things together yeah. with, with others, with their family. So it's a, it's a lot of getting creative. Yeah, and I guess too, remembering that nature doesn't necessarily have to be like wild nature. It doesn't have to be, you know, in the middle of a forest or down at the beach, that there's nature in your neighbourhood um, and that you can, I mean, I, I just absolutely love watch, looking at through people's gardens and, and all of, sometimes there's green space in between as well and that's just as beneficial as, you know, having to seek out something that's feels secluded, there's <laughs> no one around, um, that nature's everywhere. Yeah, even in the heart of a big city, like New York City, Central Park. Mm. And I didn't really discover that until I was an adult. I grew up about two and a half hours south of it. But when I really began to see what Central Park was, it was it was incredible to me that it was planned out that way, that the city was planned that way. Because, mm. I mean, when you're in Central Park, you feel like you're immersed in nature and the birds are chirping and, and the squirrels are, you know, running around. So even in urban environments and suburban environments, we can seek out parks and nature centers and science mm. museums, botanical gardens, and uh, our own our own neighborhood. The flowers yeah. of your that your neighbors have planted in their garden. Um, yeah, there's a lot of opportunities. We just have to open our eyes and be more mindful. Yeah, actually, it's funny. So even museums, like I feel really connected now museum in Brisbane's got this amazing section of taxidermied animals and I just love being able mm. to see up close um, these mm. animals that I see in my neighborhood and be able to you know take that in and, and really slow down and and see them clearly because sometimes you just see them in the trees or you know scuttling into the bushes um, mm. so even though that's an indoor place I still feel connected to nature there so that's a that's a, a great example as well. Um, if you're already really connected to nature, what other things can we do to challenge our family a little bit more if we're taking that next step? Sure. Well, that that is kind of the key is to challenge yourself to think out of the box, maybe try something you have never done. I'm sure there's something, even if you mm. are an avid hiker and camper, there's probably something you haven't tried yet. Um and, you know, something that is a little bit out of the ordinary that I like to talk about is tree hugging. Yeah. I actually saw that on, <laughs> I was having a look at some of your articles and that was the first one came up and I was like, that actually, it's out. I've still got the tab out why tree hugging is oh, that's so <laughs> I was like, yeah. yeah, tell me about that. Yeah. You know, years ago, you know, I've been writing about parenting and wellness and, and environment for, for years. And so- a few years ago, I wrote about how important it is for, you know, parents to have contact with their kids through touch, you know, since mm. they're, you know, born an infant and then the hug, how important it is to have hugs, you know, and, and all that interaction. And there's a lot of research on, on that skin to skin contact. And so then I actually had spoke to a really cool guy, um, who wrote a book he's called, known as the hug doctor. 
Stone Crusher, Crusher. And he wrote a book called 21 Day Journey to Embracing Yourself, Your Life, and Everyone Around You. And so he he explained that that at 21 seconds uh, is when when you're hugging like an animal, so like a pet, a person, and even a tree, that's when those positive hormones kick in. And so, yeah, I really got into that. And I thought it was kind of cool to to bring that concept of hugging a tree because, of course, the term tree hugger has an interesting connotation (laughs) in the environmental world. But actually stopping and trying it, it's very an empowering moment because a tree is that epitome of nature and stability. And when you're holding on to the tree, you know, you feel so strong too. So, you know, that's a fun and different out of, you know, thing to try. Yeah. And to breathe deeply, you know, and and breathe in the scents of the tree because they have, you know, they give out um the the special scents that that help calm us down. So yeah, like go hug a tree. There's one for you. Yeah, I'm actually I challenge all of our listeners to um and I feel like that's, you know, even for me I'm like, wow, um what are my instant barriers to doing that? So my instant barriers, mm. like, where would I do that so that no one sees me? <laughs> right. Like, you know, but I, that's I can what everybody through. says. Yeah. Right. And then I think, oh, like that doesn't, you know, that's my instant thing. I can work through that. It doesn't really matter. Like I'm, I can absolutely go hug a tree in, in a very crowded place. It's not, not a problem, but <laughs> I can imagine that would be a lot of people's first thing, but you know, there's absolutely ways to go and give that a go and see, if you do feel something, I'm really keen to do that actually this afternoon when I'm out. I'm going to, I will um, pop that in the show notes actually about my experience hugging a tree. Oh, fun. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I definitely, for those listeners who go out and try it, we'd love to hear about your experience as well. So, um, we'd love, yeah, let us know. Um, you've got some other really interesting things like cow cuddling as well. Does yes. Give you the similar sort of feeling. Yeah, so cow cuddling is fascinating. Now, I have not done it yet. It's on the bucket list. Mm. But I I interviewed several people that are involved in this. And so animals are commonly used for therapeutic purposes. And, Mm. you know, cow cuddling is like this kind of, you know, fad that that just kind of started, at least in the United States, a little bit more. It did come from Europe. Um, And so... Farms are offering, and I guess the premise too is that farms in the United States, you know, they're they're closing down a lot of them. You know, we don't have as many yeah. farms, so they're trying to come up with unique activities to attract uh, customers. <laughs> uh, yeah, and yeah, so they're doing like goat yoga and cow cuddling. Is this concept of the, a cow just becomes your like couch, the way it it lies down in a half circle and it creates this cozy ah. like area for you to just snuggle up with with the cow. And you know the research shows this can be very meditative and a big reason why is besides the snuggling but that cows have slightly slower heart rate than humans. Okay. So it helps our heart rate slow down. And their body temperature is also higher, and so they're warmer. So that helps us feel more relaxed. Yeah, it's really interesting, and it was it was challenging to find places that are doing it. There was one in New York State, one in Hawaii, maybe one in North Carolina, but not too many people. So actually, the woman who who does it runs 
the farm in New York, she got a lot of press. It was like in the New York Times, then it, yeah. it, it kind of went viral. But I, so I don't know if, where they are exactly. You know, people can yeah. Google and see if there's there's a cow cuddling experience near you. The then the yeah. animal yoga as well, uh, like I mentioned, goat yoga. But there's all kinds of other animal related, you know, mindfulness and yoga experiences, like um, butterfly pavilions are offering yoga with butterflies and and bunnies. You can do bunny yoga. So these are really cute experiences that kids would really enjoy. Yeah. And I guess if it's something that you you do enjoy and it and you will keep doing it. That's the thing too, is that sometimes these things, um, like we like the ideas of them, but how do we get ourselves to do them regularly? So if you find something mm. that really does tickle your fancy or something that you will commit to then you'll get even more benefits from those. So that's amazing. We haven't explored forest bathing too much, but I'd like to know more about it from your perspective. Yes, forest bathing. I actually, I did do forest bathing in Pennsylvania and it's essentially going on a hike in a very mindful way. So for example, and it's very, an all sensory experience. So, um, I was at this kind of like spa lodge in Pennsylvania, one of my favorite places I've ever been. I love it. Going back there this summer, actually. And so we started, we were in a small group and we started down the path and we had a guide, you know, they have these trained forest bathing guides now. And, um, you know, they're certified and there's organizations that do that now and there's more and more of them. So that's pretty cool. And we first started with looking up. He asked us to look up really high to see the top, the tree tops, and to look at the sky and you, know, you could see how it was shady. And then we were asked to walk very slowly and you could walk in different ways. So you would hear like, and then you would listen and hear the crunching of, you know, the rock, your feet on the rocks. And I mean, I walked, I tried different ways. I walked backwards. I walked sideways. I lifted my knees real high. And so, yeah, I was just being really immersed in that environment. And, and then like in the, where we were, the trees, tree line kind of ended and then it was like this little open field. And so then there were like more bugs and butterflies and birds. And, you know, so it, it changed, you know, our environment and what we were experiencing. And then, um, we ended up in a spot where we, he asked us to find a sit spot. So different people dispersed, you know, some people went under a tree. I actually found a nice big boulder yeah. to sit on. And we were just asked to, to, you know, sit there and be mindful for like 15 minutes alone. And it was amazing. I remember seeing like a squirrel come up to me, you know, and everything really came alive. Oh, wow. Yeah. Do you know, I found that um, we do sit spots here too. Um, but I, do you know where I find that I have these experiences is when I'm scuba mm. diving because you know, like you're actually really shut off from a lot of your senses, you know, you can't hear a lot. And so you're very, you you know, you're concentrating on your breathing and like the animals will come up to you mm. in a way that I've never experienced on the land. Um, I've had so many really unique and life altering experiences with animals in the water. And it is, it's like this connection that you, and this oneness with nature that I've rarely, rarely experienced on the land. But the fact that you experience that, like, I feel like 
we don't have squirrels here, so I feel like that's a, that would be a really cool <laughs> thing to see. Um, but anytime you see any mm-hmm. mammals that come up close in in the wild, I feel like that's such a unique and amazing experience. They stay with you those moments. Yes, Richard Louv's latest book talks about oh, and wild wild calling. He talks about how important it is to have those experiences directly with the wild wildlife, and a lot of that is mm. linked to this concept of awe and wonder. And we can't really describe it, but it's yeah. this overpowering, incredible feeling that, you know, you kind of lose track of where you are and what's going on, you know, when you're, you're staring in the eyes of a critter. <laughs> mm, yeah. Yeah. There's this, um, I don't know if you get Bluey over in um, the States, it's a beautiful little cartoon mm. that we have here. And there's a moment where she goes down to the creek with her dad for the first time and they 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 capture that moment. There's a little um, pottery type of kangaroo that comes up to her and and looks at her and they, and and it's that moment that they capture in this little children's cartoon. And I was like, that's that's it. That's what happens when you're out in nature. Is you have these moments, these micro moments, and like you say, that awe. I think is such a powerful word to describe that moment where, like you say, everything slows down and you're just so in the moment. And um, yeah, I, I think it's it's really. It was so amazing to see it in a show, like a mainstream show, to see that moment captured so beautifully that, you know, I've had plenty of these moments in my life, but seeing it captured in that way, I was like, that's <laughs> it. That's that's the moment that we all, I guess, don't realise we need to have those those encounters with wildlife is so special. I still, when I see a butterfly, it's like I'm five years old again, you know, it's like, oh, butterfly, mm. look, and you try to look at, you can't quite see it because it's so quick, but uh, yeah, yeah. And looking at yeah. the birds that sometimes end up in my backyard and trying to figure out which ones they are. <laughs> yeah. And that's what I think I love, have loved about becoming a parent is that if I feel like I've gone through mm. that all over again, helping my children to see the world in that way, slowing down and, you know, they, they are so in tune with what's happening around them. They, they observe and they notice things that I don't. And I, I'm so appreciative of having those experiences because they're like, oh, look, I found a oh, – my daughter was talking about a snake she saw yesterday when she was out. And, I, you know, like those sorts of things, It's I wouldn't notice half of what I've been able to experience if my children hadn't been there noticing for me. That's interesting. And, you know, they, they seem to know a lot more too. I mean, we didn't have these experiences, but, oh, yeah. you know, my kids – they went to different camps where there was always the animal classroom and they would talk about the <laughs> chinchilla and I'm like, what's a chinchilla? And But they were always like learning about animals yeah. that, I, you know, we never did. <laughs> yeah. We go to, you know, if we need an ID, we go straight right. to the kids now. <laughs> what bird is those particularly birds? We, we're like, where's, you know, where's Harper? Where's Gabe? But we know that the kids that will be able to tell us what what species that is because none of the adults are going to know we're still you know a lot of us are on on that journey of trying to increase our ecological literacy whereas these kids it's just embedded now which is amazing all right well Sandy that's been so fascinating to talk with you about all of these things um when can we hear more about your work yes well you can find all kinds of blog posts and articles my website is ecohappinessproject.com I also have a book coming out soon called Finding Eco-Happiness, Fun Nature Activities to Help Your Kids Feel Happier and Calmer. And I'm excited for that one to come out, for sure. <laughs> yes, 
Yeah. And if you're running out of ideas for nature activities, I guarantee that you won't when you, you know, start looking at the book. I have activity checklists at the end of each chapter. Perfect. And the chapters are categorized by, you know, uh, aspects like mindfulness, animals, food. And so there are endless opportunities for you to build that nature habit. And I'm also excited to share, I have a children's book coming out too. Ah, It's it's actually up on Amazon now. (laughs) Oh yeah. Awesome. What's that one called? Sky's Search for Eco-Happiness. If you just Google eco-happiness, it'll come up. But it's, um, yeah, we wanted to, I I teamed up with a teacher friend, Julie Neustadter, and we wrote this book so that we can, you know, help parents start to build that conversation with their kids about how nature can help them with their emotional well-being. And so it's about a little girl who's feeling blue and her mom says, hey, why don't you go outside and check out what your friends are doing? And they're all doing these great you know, nature activities like uh, outdoor yoga, painting a sunset. And so it, yeah, it's really, it, it, it really brings in, you know, that w- what the parents will learn in the book and now the kids can learn it as well. Oh, fantastic. That sounds great. Um, all right. Just to wrap up our interview today, I'd love to ask you our little rapid fire questions. Um, so <laughs> one of the questions we like to ask everyone, because I've benefited so much from asking this one, is what's your favorite book of all time or um, what's a book you've been reading re- reading recently, get my words out, um, that people might benefit from knowing about? Is it nature-related book or could be anything? Whatever you like, because sometimes people don't do nature-related and they're still Mm. really, really great recommendations. Yeah, the first one that comes to mind is The Four Agreements. Oh, yeah, I've heard about that. (laughs) I don't know that I've read it. Yeah, it's so good, especially to help with mental health and perfectionism and all of that. Mm. It, you know, really... It's one of those books that I really should read every single morning before I start my day. I wish you could just put your finger in a book and like the knowledge goes in your head. Yeah. But it's really about like not caring what other people think and and just these simple aspects that can improve your life. So that that is important. And then, of course, I'll put a plug in for Richard Liu's books. You know, yes. we wouldn't be here without his nature deficit disorder. Um, yeah book so <laughs> yeah brilliant um it's funny I think that that book that you recommended um will really help people to go out and um hug a tree not care what people think so that's a great recommendation yes that's true it's <laughs> a good connection there <laughs> it is um all right so where do you go to reset after like a tough day or a tough week where's your go-to place you know I try to take lots of walks my typical day is I take my kids to school and then I head outside for a walk sometimes a bike ride I just started playing some pickleball too once a week. Oh, so I've heard, heard yeah. Brene Brown talking about pickleball and I have no <laughs> idea what it is. must be an American thing. I have to look into it. Yeah, it's uh, like mini tennis. Ah, there you go. But I, and then even if I work out at home, we we have a balcony on our second story and I have um, you know, a stationary bicycle out there. So even if it's raining, I can still actually yeah. be outside and – I want to read a book while I'm um, on the bike. So yes, getting outside, taking a break, taking a walk for sure. Awesome. Um, If you had to choose one thing about the education system to change, what do you think that might be? Wow. To tell the whole story, the whole truth about everything, history, whether it's Mm. history or 
environmental issues. That is been, you know, especially the last few years, my eyes have opened. Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm 44 and I feel like it took a lot of, you know, protests and changes in, in society, you know, finally in my 40s for me to open my eyes to to recognize that history isn't what they really taught us in elementary school. Yeah. And so my children, and I, and I like to explain this to my kids, you know, my kids are nine and 13 and I'm like, you know, when you're studying this, make sure you realize that it's actually this, what happened. Yeah. And yep. I'm glad that I have that, that knowledge now. So yeah, I think, you know, that comes to play with our plastic discussion as well. Yeah. Yeah. Because I feel like if we've, we're not getting the whole truth of where we've come from, uh, we can't actually learn from mistakes or, um, have a holistic understanding of where we are now so that we can mm-hmm. make better choices for the future. I think that is a really, really important one. I see that a lot, um, particularly with American history and stuff like that. It's the same here in Australia, though. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot of gaps, a lot of things that have been left out intentionally, I think, too. Um, so, yeah, your, your children are lucky that you can fill in some of those for, for you because I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of children that don't. And like all of us, take a really long time to mm-hmm. to know what the truth actually is. All right. Um, thank you so much for being on the podcast with us today. It has been absolutely illuminating to talk about all of the the mental health connections we have with nature and eco-happiness. I'm really excited to hear to read your book. So thank you so much for all of the work that you do and um, all of the amazing journal articles. People should be definitely going onto your website and having a look. I've been looking through these and I'm like, wow, I have <laughs> a bit of reading to, ahead of me. Um, and yeah, thank you so much. Yeah. And if you have any other ideas for blog articles, let me know. <laughs> oh, shall do. Yeah. If anyone's got any uh, ideas, you can definitely drop a line in um, under our Instagrams usually where we have some really great discussions from the podcast. So thank you so much, Sandy. Thank you so much for having me. I love a good reminder to get outside and continue building on my own nature habits. So I'm going to go out this afternoon and I'm going to try hugging a tree. Uh, I don't care who's going to see me. I encourage you to do the same and tell me all about it. And I'm going to give you the lowdown on my experience in the next episode that I record. And if you'd like a little bit more inspiration to get your family outside, you can head to our website, wildthingsforestschool.com forward slash free dash downloadables. And you can find things like our free nature scavenger hunt printable. And we've got some other really cool resources there. Um, And in addition to this, one of the projects that we are looking at more this year is to perhaps provide a membership platform. Um, It may be an extension of our current Patreon platform, uh, or maybe it might be in a different format. If that's something that might interest you so that you can get access to more nature play tips, tricks and bush skills and uh, all of the other amazing learnings that we can gain from being families that spend time outdoors, I'd love to hear more about that so you can send us an email at hello at wildlingsforestschool.com or you can reach out to us via dm on instagram it's usually one of the best places to reach us Uh, we'd love to know more about how we can make that look for you but i do have to go now so until next time we love doing this journey with you so stay wild Mm -hmm.